you have your Bibles today and would turn into Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to start in uh, verse 7. And if you don't mind when you get that, uh, go ahead and stand as we honor the reading of the Word. And as I read this, um, I'm going to uh, uh, take note on certain words that we read in the Scripture. And so I'm going to take a little time to read this, but I want to make sure I kind of put some uh, emphasis on different words to go through because really, quite frankly, as I read this, I can almost shut up and sit down because it speaks in itself and everything. And if we really read what it actually says, it really just speaks out. And so as we read here, we're going to start in verse 7. And it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today. Today. Is that tomorrow? Is that next week? Today. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me, they saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. And said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware. So he's saying beware, which means we need to listen. Brethren. Who's he talking to? Us. Lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another, how often? Once a week? When we get a chance to see each other? Just on Sundays. We're here then, so it makes it convenient. Exhort one another daily while it's still called when? Today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, once again, today. If you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt? Led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Chapter 4. Therefore, now listen to that. When we get that word, we need to understand what's that word there for. Since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear. Lest any of you seem to have come short of it as well. For indeed the gospel is preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter his rest. 
And we'll repeat that one more time. For we who have believed do enter his rest. Let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, I thank and I praise you for this day. I thank that we can be gathered here as a body. That we still have the freedom to be here, to gather here to hear your word. God, I pray that you anoint my lips to preach with boldness, with conviction, that you would lay upon my heart exactly what your spirit once said. And God, I pray that such every heart and every mind here that we have understanding to what's being spoken, what the word is, is, being, is saying, and that it would be cut and that it would be implanted deep within us, that God it can grow and bear fruit to your kingdom. God, I thank you for everything you're doing. I ask the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I read that and everything, but I'm going to hit on a couple things in verse 4 starting out. And that is, let us fear. Therefore, let us fear. And I'm going to talk about it basically because of the fact that we talk about that in a couple different scriptures in understanding that there's something very important for us to be listening to at this point. You know, we have a couple different verses we read when it comes to sin like that. In Philippians, it talks about, Therefore, my brother, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then 1 Peter 1.17, it says, And if you call on the Father, one without partiality judges according to, his, to each one's work, conduct yourself through the, the time of your stay here in fear. Now, my focus here is not necessarily talk about fear when it comes to the severity of what the word means. Now, what I'm talking about, what I see the word, what it says, is actually fear. But I'm not going to sit there. My, my argument is not trying to, to focus on, is it, you know, how, how is that mean as a fear? Is that just major respect? Is that just something to be very careful? Is that actual fear? Because the question should not be that. The question should be, why? Why is God giving such a warning here that is that important that God is saying we need to fear? And to understand this, we really need to go back and, and go through the scriptures and what we're talking about right before then. And I'm going to read it one more time in Hebrews 3, uh, verses 16. It says, For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but the, those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. So what I'm going to do here is we're going to do a little history lesson and actually talk about this real quick. And as I go through this, it's going to be uh, very, very quick, very... Um, I'm not going to give a whole lot of information on them because of the fact we don't have a lot of time. Um, obviously, if you want to read this, read the first five books of the, of, the, of the Scriptures. You're going to get this story very well. But it is something very important. We need to understand exactly what's taking place. And so, as we probably all know, God called Abraham out and sent him, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And he sends him out. And, of course, as he sends out Abraham, Abraham, Abraham his son, Isaac, God gives him the same message. And then Isaac has Jacob, and he gives him the same message. And then Jacob has Joseph. Now, Jacob has 12 boys, and Joseph is one of them. Um, obviously, God gives him dream, you know, uh, visions and so forth, and his brothers didn't like it, and so they sold him into slavery. 
He ends up being enslaved into Egypt. And then in the course of being in Egypt, God used him to give a, a message or a, 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 the, the, the dream of, of the Pharaoh, which in that case, Pharaoh put him up in second command, and now he is second command of all of Egypt. At this point, he brings his whole family into Egypt. Now, I know I'm definitely giving a very, very brief aspect of the story and everything, but that's part of the reason is because that's not what we're going to focus on. What we're focused on is now the Israelites, or his family, of about 70 people are now in uh, Egypt. And so he's there. Down the road, he dies. His brother dies. Pharaoh dies. And so what happens down the road is we have a new king who doesn't understand or didn't know what, what Joseph had done or knows the history of that. But he sees that the Israelites are flourishing. They are growing immensely. They're having children, and they are very fertile, and they are, they're noticing that, hey, the Egyptians aren't anything like the Israelites. And, and his fear is that they're going to grow up, and they're going to be like, you know, work with another nation, and they're going to come against us and destroy us. So what they do is they put him in slavery. And we're talking about hard slavery, building up their cities and so forth. And, and as, as they're doing it, what's interesting is they're, they're working long hours, and yet they are still fertile. They're still having kids. They are still growing, and so their numbers are expanding. So what they do, they're jealous about everything, and they put them in harder labor. And, and, and to where they're tired, they make sure they're trying to make them as tired as they can so they don't have a chance to do anything else because all they're doing is forced to do this hard labor. And yet, still, they're, they're growing. And so eventually what Pharaoh does is he tells, he, he, he commands to have any child that's born, male child born, to be killed. Well, in the process of this, yes, we have children born, but we have one young lady that has a young child and is trying to do everything to keep him from, from being killed and puts him in a little boat. And we know the story of Moses. Moses put in a little ark, a little, little basket into the Nile River. The, the, the uh, princess sees it, has it brought to her. She feels sorry for him and everything, and so she basically raised him and actually brings his, the, Moses' mother to be the one to, to feed it and everything and so forth in the process of him growing. Now, so he is basically growing are raised in the, um, into Pharaoh, as Pharaoh's prince, basically, at that point. However, he still knows he's an Israelite. He knows he's part of the family. And so down the road, as he's a lot older, he sees that there's a, a, um, um, a, a, a whatever you call him, a knight or whatever. He's, he's abusing one of the Israelites so forth, and he kills him. Thinks he, does, he doesn't think he moves around to see it and everything. He buries him, whatever the case may be, and he thinks it's all done. Next day, after that, he finds out it wasn't that people do know about it. And even, even Fair knew about it, and so he focused on wanting to get him killed, and so he takes off and leaves. And goes to Gershon, and he's there for 40 years. After this point, we know about the, the burning bush where he's out with his flocks. There's a bush that's burning. It's God, it's his presence is there, and tells Moses, okay, it's time for you to go back to free my people. And so, in the course of that, he and his brother Aaron goes back to um, uh, Egypt and go back to free and, and to talk to the Pharaoh to release him. Now, I want you to know that this is not the same Pharaoh because that Pharaoh that was going after him is now dead. He died. So this is a new Pharaoh, which new, this new Pharaoh is still doing the same thing. He is still causing major um, um, uh, slavery and, and, and major work for the Israelites and so forth. And so when he goes back and everything, he's now talking to this one to try to get them free. 
As, as most of you probably know, then, then he's, his heart is hardened. He doesn't want to release them. Um, and so what God does is he starts showing his might. Starts giving the plagues. We have the water turn to blood, and we have lice, we have frogs, and we hail, and so forth. And his, his, hardness, his heart is hardened every time. So eventually, finally, at the last, God says, okay, this is my final one. And he's going to send his angel of death to, to kill the firstborn of every person that's there. And what saves Israelite is Israel is he tells them that you have to kill a spotted lamb, or a, 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 a unspotted lamb, a, a, a perfect lamb, and take the blood and put it on the doorpost of your home. And that way, when the angel of death comes through, when he sees that, he passes over your home. Which is interesting because if, if you know much about their heritage, they always, they always took Passover, and that's what Passover is for. That was their celebration of, of God passing over them and bringing them out of bondage um, at that point. So obviously, this, when that happens, now Pharaoh's, okay, I'm going to change heart and get out of here, get, get your people out of here, and here's take all the money we have, just get out of here. I mean, they, they basically spooled them on an opposite aspect because they're, here's, here's our gold, just get out of here. And they leave, and of course, God leads them through uh, a, a different way, not directly to the Red Sea, but he reads them around, and so they get to the Red Sea, and by this point, Pharaoh has a change of heart. Why in the world did he leave him? And so then he comes after them. We're going we're gonna to destroy them. I'm, I'm just angry about it and everything. Now the Israelites destroy it. What would you do? You brought us out here to die. And so God brings, you know, talks to God, and, and God says, take your staff, raise it over the Red Sea. Red Sea splits. They walk across on dry ground. Then the Egyptians come along, and by the time they come there, all of a sudden it's not dry anymore. They're coming through, having a hard time to get through, and, and then the Israelites get on the other side. The Egyptians are in the middle of the, of the Red Sea. God says, uh, raise your staff, staff over the, the, the sea again, and of course the waters came down and destroyed their army. And so we see that, and of course then we see songs that they sing about this. So you know, it's interesting because God gives them different things to remember what he's done. You know, and so they, they sing songs. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown in the sea. And so now they have something to celebrate for that too. And then he leads them into the, the wilderness. Now the wilderness was not a place for them to stay. It was just a place they're going through to the promised land. And so when he, when he spoke to Moses originally, he said, I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to my rest. I'm going to bring you to the place that's flowing with milk and honey. This is going to be your home. And I'm going to lead you there. And the process that every time they had issues and, they, and the Israelites were complaining about it and everything, God would answer all that. And they would see the power of God. And that was their focus on going to the promised land. Now, before I move on, we're going to talk about what he did in the wilderness. Because God gives them five things in the wilderness. First of all, manna. About the first thing he did, he gave them food. Little stuff that... From heaven, they wake up in the morning, it's all over the ground, kind of like on the dew of the ground everything. They, they collect as much as they can get. And they're told not to eat anything but what you can eat today. You don't save anything for the next day, and except for the day before the Sabbath, you collect for the Sabbath. That was it. If they tried to collect anything more than that, then they woke up the next morning, it's all rotted, and, and maggots, which are the case of being everything, and God was angry about that too. The second thing he did is gave them the law. Now the law is not necessarily about the fact of do's and don'ts. Because if you read the scriptures, it was more about separating them from everybody else. It's about making them holy. This is what the Gentiles do. You don't do this. These things they do, 
You don't do this. Why? Because you are my people. I'm setting you apart. I'm making you a beacon of light to everybody else around so the Gentiles can see that you are not the same. You are my people. And so he gives the law for that purpose. The next thing he does is he gives them the tabernacle. So they build a tabernacle for the purpose of housing his presence. So the tabernacle, I had the Holy of Holies, which is where they had the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the where the kind of glory of God rested, and, and that's where the high priest could go in once a year to make atonement for their sin and everything. And so that was a place that would be for his presence. He also set the priesthood. Now, these are the individuals he set up, obviously the house of Levi, that he set up for the purpose of doing the worship and the service to him. So there was a purpose that they had, and it was all for the, the purpose of service to him in, in every aspect of that part. And then finally, he gives them leadership. He provides them a pillar, a pillar of cloud to lead them by the daytime and a pillar of fire to lead them at night. And when that pillar stopped, they stopped. When it went up to move, that's where it camped, and they were to follow. Matter of fact, if you read, when anybody was outside that, they were outside of God's protection, and there was problems. You did not leave the leave being followed, uh, following that. If you're outside that, there's no protection. And it's very vital that they followed when it moved and didn't go when it did not move. And so those are five things that he gave when, he was in that, when, when they were in the wilderness. So let's talk about that for a minute. Because really, quite frankly, this is a... a um, correlation to us as Christians. Every aspect of it. It's amazing that God doing this I don't know, what did I say about 5,000 years ago or something like that whatever, I, I don't remember, I didn't look up at such a when that would be in history, but a long time ago, had that set up for a plan to show us how we are to live today. So, let's start the first thing. Talking about the Israelites in Egypt, in slavery. One thing we don't like to think about is every person at that point in time was probably born in slavery. Every person that would have known Joseph or known anything outside of slavery had probably all gone and you know, died at that point. So every person, especially when Moses had come back to free them, had probably known nothing but slavery ever since they were born and old enough to actually do any type of labor. But so are we. We're born in sin. We're born enslaved in sin. We are lost, and there is no hope for us. Psalms 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Romans 3.23, For all I sin and come short of the glory of God. Next, we see when they're, when they're there, what it took for their deliverance was a sacrifice of a lamb. His blood, that lamb's blood, had to be spilled for their deliverance. I know you know where we're going with that one. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 through 19, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless con conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so just as much as there was shed blood from a lamb that was, that was killed at that point, 
to bring them to deliverance, we also have a lamb that was shed, that had his shed, blood shed as well for us, that we can be delivered as well. And so there's a saying there. Same thing with celebration, Passover. Now, it's interesting, Passover they, they had to celebrate once a year, and there's a certain time every year that they celebrate Passover. We also have our Passover. It's called communion. It's the same thing. It's us celebrating God delivering us from our sins. It's interesting, though, because, you know, there you did it once a year. Communion says in Scripture, do as often as you will. Why? Because as important it was for them, for their deliverance, it is so much more important for our deliverance than what God has done for us. That is so important that we should do it whenever we can. To remember constantly what he's done for us and everything, because that is the most important thing that we can ever look at, is what God has done for bringing me out of, uh, of damnation, bring me out of condemnation, bring me out of slavery, bring me out of sin, that I can be set free. And so, it, you know, when it comes to comparing that, we, we don't have to just do it once a year. It's something we do whenever we, we, we can, whenever, whenever it's basically we want to do it and everything's over because it's just a fact of making sure, look what God has done for us. He made him his chosen people. And, and when we talk about that and him being a chosen people, that's exactly who God called him as their chosen people. But in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 10, it says also, but you are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now he's talking about us. That you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The wilderness. Now we'll talk about the wilderness. The wilderness is actually our life here. We were not set, we are not here to make our home here. Just as much as Israelites were not made or were not commanded or were told not to make their home in the wilderness. God had a place for them. We're on our way. But there's no home here. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. If we're making our home here, it's no different than Egypt. Because what we're doing is make our home back into uh, slavery. We're putting ourselves back into bondage. And so, just the same thing, same with us. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. That's exactly what we are. This is not our home. We have a place we're going. We're there to be on our way. Um. Hebrews 13, verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Manna. That was bread that he brought from heaven for each of them. We have our manna today too. Christ. John 6, verses 48 through 51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which come down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I, talking about Christ, not pointing to me, but Christ, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If, any, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, I'm going to talk about Matthew 6.33 too, because that was also something that, like I said, they could not 
take for the next days or anything like that. They were not to store it. They were just to eat what they get a day. And unique about that, too, I'm going to talk about that as well, because when they're talking about they ate, they can eat whatever they wanted. They can gather whatever they wanted. They just had to eat that day. So some may have gotten some, and some may have gotten a bunch. doesn't matter. They can eat as much as you want, which is the same thing with Christ. He is here. We should be going after him for everything we can, and we can take as much as we want because he's there for us. But in Matthew 6, 33 and 34, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't expect to try to just get what you can get today from Christ and think it's good for tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Our biggest problem today in our churches today is we think it's enough that we can go to church on Sunday and I can get all the food I can get on that day and think I'm okay for the rest of the week. No. We are, we are starving. We are not taking from what Christ has given to us and everything. And what I get from, from even if I, I mean, I'm not saying I don't get anything on Sunday, but it's not enough. And if we cannot get more than that, then we cannot have the strength to pursue anything that we're dealing with when it comes to our wilderness or our life to be able to overcome the things we come across because we have no strength. And we cannot have any strength. If all we're getting things is for Sunday, we are weak. There is no strength. Talking about the law. The law was there to set them apart. I can use the same scripture, First uh, Peter 2, verse 9 through 10. We are a chosen generation, a royal a priesthood, a holy nation. We are a people set apart. In Hebrews 10, verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. It's interesting because we, I know we talk about the law, and we, you know, we, 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 we think of the law as do's and don'ts. And if all we think of is their law of doing do's and don'ts, we don't understand the whole aspect of the law, of what the full purpose of it. Like I said before, the purpose of the law is to make us holy. And if we understand that God has called us to be holy, if we understand that he's, he's commanded for us to be holy, he's looking for us to be holy, it changes a lot of what our mentality is when we think about of what, of how we live our lives. Because it's not about me being a, a good person. God did not call me necessarily to be a good person. He did not call me just to try to be good to people necessarily. Yes, we should be, but it's not, that's not our purpose. Our purpose on earth is to be holy, to be set apart, so the world sees us and sees we're not the same. And there should be a difference. They should be seeing, and, and I'm going to tell you, the problem with a lot of the churches today is there is no difference in what they see. They see that we talk about the same things, we do the same things, we, 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 our entertainment's the same thing as they see as everybody else. Why in the world do I need to come to church? Because you do the same thing I do, so what's the purpose? Oh, I need God? Okay, I'll, I'll say a prayer. Okay, that's good enough? Okay, I'm fine. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And unfortunately, that's what we left our message in for most places within the church is just basically that. And then we, then we deteriorate grace as saying, oh, grace, grace is just the fact that God's love covers you and everything, so for the multitude of sins and everything, you live how you want to do and everything because God's grace is better. And we don't understand grace. 
Yes, grace is there in the fact that, yes, I'm a sinner, and, and, and I need salvation, and because of grace, I can bring salvation. But his grace doesn't stop there. His grace brings me where I am actually set free from that and moved away from those situations, and my life is set apart to be doing something different. A temple. We still have a temple. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. Oh, do, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify, your, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The temple's still there. What's the temple there for? To house his presence. And yet, what dwells in us? The Holy Spirit. God himself, God the Holy Spirit, dwelling in me. I mean, think about that. I'm also going to talk about that, too, because a lot of times we think that we can't really be different with the Holy Spirit within us, and that is a... That's, that's basically saying God has no power at that point. How can God dwell in me and I don't change? It's impossible. Which really says the opposite. If I am not changed, then that means I may say I have the Holy Spirit within me, but I don't. Because there is no, there is no mixing in that case. To be friend with the world is enmity against God. They, there is no, there's no, you can't have both. And so God has that in us for us, one, to change us, and two, to lead us. Which leads me to, last, to the next point, priesthood. First uh, Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. And we already talked about 1 Peter 2, 9. We're a chosen generation of royal priesthood. And this one here says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now think about that scripture there. Have we really actually thought about that scripture when it comes to what it says in that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How many, do we, how many times do we, have people, do we hear people actually talking about that? That we are called to give spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's action. There's service. And we are called to serve. We are called to worship. We are called to bring sacrifices to Him. And, I mean, sacrifice can be a lot of different things because ultimately the first thing is my body and my life. I lay myself as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto him, for him to use however it looks like. I mean, think about that. We're to carry our cross. What does cross represent? Sacrifice. And just as much as Christ was sacrificed for our sins, a lot of times we're called to sacrifice as well for the message of the gospel to the world. And so, as a priest, a lot of times if we're holding on to everything about this world and we're not focused on the gospel, we're not focused on what he wants, we are not lifting up a sacrifice that is acceptable to him. Lastly, led by a pillar of cloud and fire. 
We are led today too. That's what we have the Holy Spirit for. He sent the Holy Spirit to lead us. Romans 8, verses 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Let me read that in a different way. For everyone who is not led by the Spirit of God, then they can't be the sons of God. Are we, are we truly being led? Are we truly listening to the Holy Spirit to see exactly where He's leading us? Are we truly taking the time to learn to hear His voice when He says, I want you to do this? And are we going to be obedient when He tells us to do it? And that's one thing that with everything that we talk about here and everything, that's the one thing that I see that I struggle with when it comes to do we really see that much today. You look in the New Testament, and you'll read all the time, the Holy Spirit led them to do this, and they did it. The Holy Spirit led them to do this. They did it. The Holy Spirit led them to do this. And it was always for the purpose of, of, of seeing the gospel. You know, Paul and Silas says that they, they, the, the Holy Spirit led them to send them out. And they go out. God, uh, the Holy Spirit led Peter or um, uh, Philip, and he goes. You see these different things. We are called to be led for him. Are we truly listening? Are we truly willing to be led? Now, as we've gone through these situations, really quite frankly, this it's amazing how much this is really basically a, a direct correlation to our life today when we look at the from the point of them being in, in uh, slavery to the point of coming to the, the promised land. Everything in there is basically God using for the purpose to show us our lives. Because that's real, we could actually almost take out Israelite and put in Christian instead. So what's the problem? Because we read here about this, but we, he, we read in here also in Hebrews 3, talking about that they could not enter. Well, let me finish the story. I should say the history, because I, I hate using story, because story sometimes emphasizes like it's a fiction. This is history. This is something that took place. Obviously, they're taken through the wilderness, and they come to the promised land. And Moses... God tells Moses, get 12 men from each of the 12 tribes and send them out. Two of them being Joshua and Caleb. And they go and they, they're told, hey, tell us about everything you see. You know, if it's flowing with milk and honey, you know, what are the, what are the cities like, who's there, all this stuff. And so they go out and he said, if you, if you can bring some fruit back, bring it back and everything and so forth. And, and they bring this, I mean, they, they got to carry this thing up with two guys, this big old bushel of grapes. And who knows what that looked like or anything like that. I've, I've seen different pictures of a, of a cluster with a ton of grapes on. I've seen pictures of grapes that are like melons. I mean, who knows? It's just, um, but regardless is, it was definitely fruitful. And they come back and they're saying, yes, that place is flowing milk and honey. That place has got food like crazy. It is just gorgeous. That place is the Garden of Eden, whatever the case may be. That place is awesome. However, we looked at the inhabitants too. And they got fortified cities. There's people, uh, the, the family of Amalek, they are like giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do that. 
and 10 of, those, of, the, of the, the spies told him and tell everybody in the congregation, look, this, what's going on? This is, this is horrible. They, 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 yeah, it's great, but we cannot handle this and everything because we'd be destroyed. And then the whole, gen, the whole uh, multitude of people, the Israelites were saying, what would you do, bring us here to die? We'd been better off in Egypt. Except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And they're standing there thinking, guys, what did God do with us? He brought us out of Egypt. Not only that, but he destroyed the army with the, I mean, we didn't split, split the sea. Look what he did. All these things he's done all the way through here and everything. What are you talking about? What are these people to him? If he's with us, then what can we, what does it matter? They can't do anything stand before God. And, and the, the, the multitude was so angry, they were tempted to stone Joshua and Caleb for that situation. So God stepped in, obviously very angry. Fine. You're not going in. You're going back in the wilderness. Every one of you are going to die in the wilderness. Actually, the ten men died pretty quick. But you're not going to go in. It's interesting because it's not really part of the story, but there's once they realize, oh, maybe we made a mistake, well, we'll go up there and find him now. And most like, God's not with you. The uh, pillar of Fire or is not moving. You're going on your own. You cannot last. And they tried to do it, and then they got defeated. And so they were sent back for another 40 years until everyone died. They were concerned about their wives and their children. And what's interesting is their children were the one that was able to go in. Everybody that was under 20 years of age and younger, they were the ones still alive at the point when they came back about 40 years later to come into the promised land. And no one else lived. Now, what do we talk about this? Because this message is a warning. I'm coming close on time. Chris, if you want to go ahead and come up here. This message is a warning. Because just as much as the Israelites didn't mean that they were believers, so much more we as Christians does not necessarily mean we're believers. There's everybody can say they're Christians, but are we truly believers? Do we truly put our trust in Him? And it says in, um, make sure I'm on the right page here. I pulled. Uh, in Matthew, Matthew 22, verse 14, it says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Every one of those Israelites were called out of Egypt. But there's only a select that were chosen. And actually, out of that, basically two, Joshua and Caleb. It's the same thing with us today. If we are here, we've been called. I imagine everyone here has felt the calling because why you're here today. If anybody's in church, typically there's a calling there. But does that mean we're truly believing? Does that mean we truly have our faith in Him? Do you understand if we're holding on to the world and we're trying to keep up, we're still stuck in Egypt? And I will tell you, much of the church today is stuck in Egypt because why we think we can hold on to the things of Egypt but still have the things of God, and it does not work. You cannot have both. If you're holding on here, you don't have it here. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you love the world, you hate God. 
And I don't care how much you say that, well, I love God and everything. If you're holding the world, you're actually lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself because the Bible says, no, that is not how it works. And this message is a warning. This truly is a warning that we all have to be paying attention to and everything because, in fact, time is short. It's not very long when God's going to come back for his church to bring those into his rest. You know, next week, we're going to actually talk about that. Next week, we're, I'm, I'm going to be here next week, so please come back. Don't, I shouldn't say anything. Maybe I should. <laughs> next year, we're actually going to talk about that. The actual, what uh, the, uh, the rest is, uh, the eternal life, what, what we talk about when it comes out. We're going to actually uh, talk about that and, and understand really what that really is. But today, my warning is there. If we're holding on to things in our past, if we're holding on things that we, that, we've, that we haven't let go of and everything, then you are at risk of losing everything. You know, Sunday, Joplin, was everybody here Sunday? When he had the thread that showed base eternity? You know, we have all that to have risk of by holding on to today. God may, have, God may be sending you out from somewhere. God may have told you to leave something. I mean, you've got to realize there could be a lot of different things. God may have called you out of a job because it's not what he wants. He may be calling you to go do something. He may be calling you to go be a missionary. He may be calling you to, to preach the gospel. He may be calling you to do different things, so forth, and we're not doing it because why do we think it's going to be too hard to do it? It's, it's, it's too dangerous. It's too difficult. And God's going to say, look what I've done. Just like he showed them. Look what I did with the, with, with, I brought you out of. I can handle all that. There's nothing I can't do. If I want to send you to do something, I have everything under control. But we can hold on and we're, we can be so afraid to go step those, make those steps because of the fact, I don't know how it's going to look. I'm, I'm too afraid of that and everything because I'm afraid something's going to happen. I'm not going to make it or whatever the case would be and everything. So far, I may get persecuted. I may get laughed at, whatever the case would be. And God's going to say, do you believe in me? Do you believe I can handle this? Do you believe I can carry you through this? Do you believe that I am here? Do you believe me? A couple of scriptures I'm going I'm to speak on real quick, and then we'll conclude because we're about that time. Hebrews 4, verse 11. I have three verses, basically, or three um, different passages. One let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Be diligent. 2 Peter 1, verses 2 through 11. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things pertain to life and godliness. Listen to that. He has given everything to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. 
Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. He's giving a warning right now to be diligent. If we're, if we're going through the, just the, our life just willy-nilly and everything, and we're just, hey, we're going to church, and, and God's going to do things and everything, but I'm just, you know, I just believe God's going to do whatever. We are not being diligent. And God says right here, be diligent to make your call and election sure. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to us. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Do we know that? Do we truly understand that? Or is it basically we're just holding on to what we kind of heard, and we have a couple of scriptures that makes us feel that way, but we truly don't have a relationship. We truly do not know Him. Because unless, indeed, you are disqualified. This is a hard message. This is something we've got to really pay attention to because time is short. And just as much as there was many in the Israelites party that didn't go in, it's the same thing for a lot in the church today. Because there's going to be days, it says in Matthew 7, that there's going to be, there's come before God, it says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? And you're going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why do we want to test? Why, why do we want to tempt ourselves to miss out on that eternity that lasts forever and ever by just kind of going through the motions and just going by what we think. Maybe something from, something from someone, what someone said. God wants you. He wants to lead you. And if we're not ready, he, we, we, we lose it. This is too important. And so my call today, and I know we're running out of time, so forth. My call today is if you feel that you are not completely there, if you feel like there's things holding you back, you feel like you're holding on to things, this is the time to give it to Him. The scripture says today, today is the day. Don't harden your hearts today. Don't be like them in the rebellion. Today is that day.